So wherever we go <clears throat> on this beautiful planet, we discover that mountains, mountains are especially holy places of transcendence and mystical encounter with God. Think about places like Mount Kilimanjaro, K2, Fuji, and Denali. You know, in a couple of weeks, I myself will be on an extended prayer retreat up at a monastery high, high, high up in the Rockies of Colorado. And have you ever wondered, what, what is it about these high places that draws us to them? What is it? I know for me it's because the stars and the galaxies and the heavens feel so close. And also because God does as well. In Galilee, there's a much smaller mountain, just 1,800 feet tall, that rises above the valley of wheat fields and grape arbors down below. It's called Mount Tabor. And by tradition, it's the place where our gospel story about the transfiguration of Jesus takes place. Now, just to get our bearings, if Mount Tabor were here in Lancaster City, Nazareth would be as close as Landisville, and the Sea of Galilee sparkling over there would be as close as Paradise, the town of Paradise. So you can just feel the proximity of places that the places that Jesus went in the Holy Land. Now in our story today, Jesus seems to sense that three of his closest disciples are now ready for a fuller encounter and revelation of God. And so he takes them up the mountain so that prayer and silence and solitude can begin to do their transformational work. In Luke's account of this story, he tells us that it's actually while they are praying that Jesus' face suddenly becomes radiant and his clothes become dazzling white. And the disciples then see Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus. Now notice this. It's very, very important. Notice that we don't see David and Solomon speaking with Jesus. We see Moses and Elijah speaking. <clears throat> David and Solomon would have been representatives of the royal way of power and wealth in the Bible. But instead, we see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, prophetic critics of the empire and bold defenders of the vulnerable. Do you remember two Sundays back, we heard Jesus telling his disciples that he had not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. First, he told them back then, 
And here today in this story, he shows them. It's show and tell. As they see these three, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, in harmonious conversation with each other. And then a a bright cloud comes sweeping over the mountain. It's like the cloud that envelops Mount Sinai with Moses. The cloud that fills the tabernacle and later fills the temple. It's a cloud that both reveals God's presence and preserves God's mystery. And it's in this cloud... In the cloud that the disciples now hear God's voice say about Jesus, this is my dear child, the beloved in whom I am so well pleased. Now God had spoken these same words to Jesus at His baptism, but for these disciples who... From the account, we're not there. This is brand new news. This is revelation. What is happening here, dear friends, is that the curtain is being pulled back for these three. And they are being given a glimpse of Jesus' fuller identity. His divine glory shining through His humanity. They're given a glimpse of the world beyond the limitations of space and time. Think about that. Beyond space and time, the window opens. They are on the front end of discovering that looking into the face of Jesus is to see the unveiled face of God. And what fantastically wonderful news this is. To look into the face of Jesus, His dazzling grace and love, is to look into the face of God. And then, still in the cloud, Peter, James, and John, and we as well, hear our call to discipleship. This is my beloved child and son. Listen to him. (laughs) Listen to him. Follow him. Learn from him. Pray as he prays. Care for the same people that he cares about. Be a church fully centered in Jesus. Listen to him. And I don't know about you, but I I just love Peter in our story today. I I always love Peter. I I just feel like he's a stand-in for all of us, isn't he? I mean, with his uh, impetuous actions and rash statements, his big words, don't we often hear him saying what we would want to say or doing what we would probably end up doing? And so in our story today, Peter blurts out, Lord, it's sure good being here and having this mountaintop experience with you. In fact, 
Let's make this moment last forever. Ever felt that way? Let's build three dwellings right here for you and Moses and Elijah. You see, Peter has stumbled into the sublime. (laughs) And he wants to make it permanent. Ever had an experience like that? This is so good, let's freeze it forever. Friends, just like Peter, don't we also want to hold on tightly to our experiences where God's presence feels especially close and near. And like Peter, isn't it easy to never want to let them go? Even to start expecting that what we experienced up there on the mountaintop, maybe at church camp or a retreat or at convention, is the way that God is going to be working in our lives from now on. In fact, after we come down the mountaintop and return to our ordinary lives down in the valley below, sometimes the greatest obstacle to our next experience of God can be our last experience of God. Especially if it was a fantastic one. You see, God comes to us in our mountaintop experiences of blazing light and luminous clouds. Yes, God does. But down here in the valley of our ordinary lives, it's important also to see God's love coming to us still in our ordinary experiences in our ordinary lives. Things that I mentioned to our children this morning. God's love coming to us in the beauty of a flower. The laughter of a child. The kindness of a stranger. And as happened to me just this morning, a cardinal singing beautifully before the dawn. What I'm talking about here is what the, Paul, what the writer Paula Darcy calls God coming to us disguised as our life. God comes to us disguised as our life. I was recently listening to a podcast about a mother. Any mothers here? Any new moms here? And she was talking with a wise friend. And lamenting that no matter how early she got up to pray, her two kids would still wake up and come crawl into her lap 
interrupting all her precious times with God. And then her wise friend said this to her. Imagine just for a moment God saying this to you. I can't tell you how much I love it when you get up and want to spend time with me. In fact, sometimes my love for you spills over and it runs so deep and wide that, that I go wake up your kids and I send them running over to sit in your lap because I want to feel what it feels like to be held by you. God coming to her. God coming to you and me disguised as our life. One of the wonderful things about the Bible is that there's always something fresh and new for us based on the changing circumstances of our lives. And this last week, I was astonished to see a detail in this story that I had never, never noticed before. It comes in verse 7. After the disciples are overcome with fear, what does Jesus so tenderly do? He touches them. He touches them. Just as Jesus earlier in Matthew had touched the leper, had touched a fevered woman, had touched the eyes of a blind man, so now He touches His terrified disciples. And He says to them, rise up and be free now of your fear. Friends, transfiguration is the invitation to return back to our ordinary lives with the new ability to see God in all things. In the words of one writer, to see God's luminescence in the mundane. Isn't that beautiful? To see God's luminescence in the mundane. To let this life, this city, this marriage, this family, this church, astonish us with the sacred. It's to be able to say, it is good to be here, right here where we are. Right now, for this too, is holy ground. Amen.